my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I am speaking with Simone Conego. She is the best-selling author of The Extraordinary Unordinary You. She's a speaker, entrepreneur, and mother to six multicultural children. Sharing her journey of adopting three of her six children in foreign countries, her climb of Mount Kilimanjaro to raise cancer awareness, and all of the funny, scary, and inspiring stories that came along the way, Simone instills in her audience the powerful lesson that what you do matters. And it's the little things we do each day that make the most difference. And prior to beginning the recording, um, Simone and I were talking and I really have a great feeling about this conversation. Uh, we're gonna dig into a lot of things that have really been in the media and just things that are real, well, very prevalent in our culture today. So um, Simone, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and, and talk about what you're most passionate about. And we'll talk about your book and uh, really how you ended up where you're at right now. So um, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me here today. I'm excited for this conversation. And before we dig in, uh, your website is it's SimoneConego.com. Correct. And is that the best place to find your book and yes, connect with you? That's the best place. You can also find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Instagram, but my website kind of has everything there. So it's the easiest place to go to. Okay. Well, I will have your, uh, your website link in, in the show notes, and I'll have a link to your uh, TEDx talk of uh, how to find your Kilimanjaro. And I understand you just um, recorded a, a second TEDx talk. And is that even out yet? It's not actually, I just emailed yesterday to see if they have any idea when it's uh, coming out. It honestly, the way it works, it's Ted has to approve it for their site. So um, when the other one came out, I didn't even know what came out until I was searching one day. I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so hopefully soon because it's a completely different topic and I got to be on an actual stage, which was nice. Instead of the first one I did, I it was during COVID. So it was not that COVID is over, but during a time where we couldn't go anywhere. So um, I filmed it right from this corner. <laughs> <laughs> cool. um, all right, well, let's, let's dig in where it all started. Um, where were you born and raised? And, and what, did your, what did your parents do when you were growing up? So I was born in Buffalo, New York. I was there until I was 13. 
I moved to Florida, Gainesville, Florida, when I was 13, went to um, high school and college there. And both of my parents were physicians. And, it, and it's really interesting because when I was younger, I didn't really understand how powerful that was in terms of my mom being a physician. When she went to medical school, it was in 1961, and there were five women in her medical school class out of 120 students. And it was hard, right? Like she had to fight that battle every day that being told that she didn't have a voice, that she was in a man's world. So, but when I was little, I was like, oh yeah, my mom's a doctor. But now that I'm grown up, I really appreciate everything she went through and how she never, she never gave up. She, she worked even when I was little, she actually switched from radiology to pediatrics because at the time they didn't know the effects of radiation from the machines they were using. So she was in pediatrics for five years and then went back to radiology again, but she always worked. She loved it and she made a huge difference. Not to say that my dad didn't, my dad was amazing as well, but <laughs> just focusing right. on that, that piece about my mom. So, but what you're saying is, is that he wasn't as good of a doctor as your mom. <laughs> no, he was a great doctor. <laughs> um, he was a great man. He, he had a completely different upbringing. She, she grew up in rural Pennsylvania on a farm. Her mom had a sixth grade education. Her dad worked in the coal mines and a local brewery. She has two older siblings, she knew she wanted to be educated. And so she worked three jobs while she was in high school and got into University of Pittsburgh, worked three jobs while she was in college and got into medical school. My dad, you know, he, he actually went to medical school in Germany. He was living, it's a very long story, so I'll, I'll do the abbreviated version. He was living in Israel and with his family, they had escaped the war. And they, once he was 18, he had gone through the Israeli army. His parents had moved back to Germany, trying to reclaim life that they lost. You know, there's a lot of pieces to that, but they wanted him to come. And they, he said, well, I want to go to medical school. Problem was he didn't speak any German. They never spoke German at home. Um, at that time, kind of escaping their, their past, but they wanted to go back. And so when my dad had his interview for medical school, his father translated for him and he got in and he actually was number two in his class. And that really made him angry because he wanted to be number one. I was like, okay, you didn't even speak the language when you started, okay? And that position got him the opportunity to come to the United States to do his internship. And that's where he met my mom. So um, both have really unique, upbringing stories and, you know, really, really did amazing things. I, I know that Gainesville, well, University, uh, University of Florida, they have an incredible um, medical program there. Uh, it's also a veterinary school. I mean, well, it's just a, an awesome school. And that's where you went? You're a gator? Yes, I'm a gator. That's why I went. I got my bachelor's and master's from there. And I'm a CPA by trade, but I haven't done that in years. I mean, I use the financial stuff, but not, I don't do my tax return even anymore. <laughs> did, did your family move there to Gainesville because of the university? 
Yeah. So when I was 13, I was away at summer camp and I got a call at camp that said, we've sold the house and we're moving to Florida. That was not the call I wanted when I was 13, but you know, Hey, gotta go. And so, yeah, my mom worked at Shands with the university of Florida. My dad actually worked at the VA. He's always worked for the, the VA, you know, even when I was little and yeah, so they, it was, the perfect place for them because they both had a hospital that they could work at and and so it's actually funny because i only i went to high school for three years i skipped my last year of high school and then went to college my first year at auburn and then transferred back to florida because auburn had an early admission program so you didn't have to have your high school diploma to get in you just needed a certain number of credits and then i could and then i transferred back to florida after that but yeah, I'm I'm a gator and my husband's a gator. None of our kids yet, which is very suspicious, but we'll see. <laughs> Do you have siblings? I'm just wondering because you, you both of your parents are doctors. Do you have siblings that became doctors or I, I have one sister and she is a physician. She lives in Switzerland. She's a psychiatrist. And I, you know, I actually was pre-med. And then I failed organic chemistry. And then I took it again and got a D in it. And I thought, okay, this probably isn't for me. What, what am I good at? I was good at math. And so that's why I took the accounting route. Now, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably work a bit harder on organic chemistry, but you can't look back. You just, I wouldn't be where I am today with what I love doing if that would have happened probably. So um, I'm, I'm happy with how things went. And, and, and it's a good story to tell my kids, it's okay to fail a class. It's okay to change your mind. It, that's how life works. Okay, so you went into accounting, and after becoming an accountant, and you you got married. Uh, you you said earlier you you and your husband had moved to Texas. Was that for his job? He yes. got a job. Yeah, so he got a um, his the first practice that he joined um, was in East Texas. And we were there for five years and I worked in accounting for the first couple of years and I've done many I've done many things over my life, like really trying to figure out what I was passionate about and fortunately I was able to do those things, but you know I ran a horse farm while we were in Texas and taught horseback riding lessons and created a summer camp. And then we were there for five years and we moved and then I had just had our second child and she was about eight weeks old when we when I. I drove basically with two kids, three dogs, a U-Haul, and my mom in um, a Ford F-250 <laughs> from Texas to Florida. And then, and then I stayed home for a bit. And then I, I've done a lot of different things since then, which is I flipped houses for a while. I went back to school to be a teacher and I taught in elementary school for three years. And then I went into medical sales and I loved teaching, honestly, because again, I feel like I already have a classroom at home, but really to, to do it the way teachers do it in terms of the amount of time they spend when you have six kids at home, it's very difficult because guess what? You have to pay a babysitter and the babysitter was costing more than what I was making. Uh, so that was the decision then to go to go into medical sales and then for medical sales I started doing a lot of volunteer work. And then realized that what I really enjoy and is sharing stories the public speaking part and that's how the book came about was. 
the more I spoke on stage, the more people would say to me, have you written a book? No, you should write a book. And I would always say, oh, I'm not a writer, limiting myself. And then finally, one day I said, why, why am I doing this? Why just write the book, write the book. And so that's what I did. It's a really crazy route to getting to where I am now, but this is what I love doing. So you make your way to, to Florida. Where did you settle? It was you and your, your first two children and your husband. Did you go to the West coast of Florida? Yeah, we're in Sarasota. And is that where you ended up going to school to get your teaching certificate? And yes, yes. So I um, did every. Once we moved to Sarasota, we're we're in Sarasota. We love it here. So yeah, I did uh, went went back to a local school to get my teaching certificate, and and then again taught for three years and really really enjoyed it. And then a friend offered me a job in medical sales that I couldn't turn down. And so I didn't, and I took the job and I did that for about five, six years and, and then realized, okay, this is, this is what I, I love is really, well, I love talking first of all, but uh, sharing, sharing stories and who knows that you could turn that into a, a business, right? Um, but then you listen to speakers all over and you realize the power of words and the power of sharing your stories and coming from a place where I never realized that my stories would make a difference in anyone else's lives to having people say to me, wow, like that really impacted me. That means a lot. So your book, when, when was that first published? Uh, when did, you know, when was its initial release? October of 2020, really, really great timing. You know, I I thought, oh, just like everybody else, when the pandemic first started, we were like, this isn't going to go on for very long. This isn't, and what I should have done is put everything on on hold at that point. But I did a lot of my writing right at the beginning of it um, because everybody was home. Every kid had to come home. They got kicked out of there. My son was um, out in California. He got kicked out of his dorms and the girls, you know, the high school shut down and my oldest daughter, Emma, she had to come home from Massachusetts from school. And so everybody was home and it made for great storytelling because it reminded me of so many of the stories I hadn't thought about in a while that I'm like, oh, that one should be in the book. That one should be in the book. So that was actually really, really a helpful thing to have them in all the chaos because it reminded me of all the things that I need to be writing. <laughs> but can you uh, walk walk us through the the journey to adopt three children from are they all all three of them are they from different countries we have two children from ethiopia and then we have a son from south korea and our two children from ethiopia are not biologically related it was we went to Ethiopia to bring our son Ari home. He was four and a half years old at the time. He's now 18. And as soon as we were at the orphanage, that's we we knew we were going to go back, apply again to adopt again from Ethiopia because there were just so many amazing kids just waiting for a family to love them. So and how did you find out about that orphanage? So we went 
we used a, an adoption agency actually they're up in Massachusetts and they our first adoption was our son Noah who's from South Korea he was a baby he was four months old and you know I was just doing research on different adoption agencies in different countries at the time that we could adopt from and so we decided that we wanted to adopt from South Korea there is tons of paperwork there are home studies where people you know come and check out where you live and where your new child is going to live and all of these all these pieces that are definitely very important obviously background checks and um, interviews galore and it was it was a pretty short process actually for Noah it was nine months and then he came home and he was uh I always love to say he turned our world upside down. So here I am. I already had three children. Now I have my fourth child. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I knew how to parent before. <laughs> you forget, you you know, like every child is so different. It's learning to parent to the child. And he is an amazing human. He's 15. Actually, he's going to be 16 this week. And then he was maybe two years old. And we said we want to we want to adopt again and we couldn't go back to South Korea because South Korea had specific rules in place where the oldest parent couldn't be older than 43 I believe it was 43 and my husband was 43 when we adopted Noah he's 10 years older than me. And so we looked at other countries that would fit our family and we decided Ethiopia so Noah was a baby. Ari was the, the second child. And he was the first from Ethiopia. And um, your your third adoption was from Ethiopia as well. Yeah, our daughter, and Millie. Daughter, Millie. And how old is she? So she is 14 now, but she was two and a half when she came home. And she is the grand finale. She is such a cool kid and spunky sassy she would kill me right now if she heard this um <laughs> she's a teenager you know what do you expect but she is so hardworking and just such a good human and and for those that are are watching this on my youtube channel you can see the picture of of all six children in the back there behind you and so from the top right of the picture that is your oldest daughter is that correct so this is actually my daughter who is she's 19 um this is my oldest daughter that so this is olivia this is emma that's jacob he's our oldest son he's 25 and then ari's now 18 noah's 15 and millie's 14. When COVID hit, you had all six. Yeah, everybody was home. Wow. And blessing in disguise, right? Because when you think about the silver linings, obviously it has been a really horrible couple of years and a lot of people have lost their lives and it has been very polarizing for our country. So the silver lining was that everybody was home and they were able to connect at a different level because when Jacob left, you know, he was 18 when he went off to college, Millie was eight years old. So all of a sudden now he's back and the 
the younger kids are not as annoying as they used to be. I mean, every kid is still annoying, right? <laughs> Smiley face. Um, but you know, they weren't so they could actually everybody had a great time like connecting in a different way than they had connected and made these friendships that might not have been there if that didn't happen. So it it was that was definitely a silver lining for us. During this time, you finish your book and publish it in October. Can you can you talk a little bit about your book? What's the main theme? What where does Kilimanjaro come into the picture? Sure. It's the book is all about realizing what you're capable of and recognizing that the things you do every day, they matter. So every choice you make, you know, can impact the people around you. It was important for me because I, I struggled for a long time to believe in myself. People would look at me and say, oh, you have the perfect life. You have six children. We don't know how you do it, but you do. And, you know, you're so strong. And, and so there were all these expectations that I was held to. And there were days where I was like, okay, I, I feel like I'm falling apart. And I can't really say it to anybody because nobody will believe it. They're like, oh no, you're, you have no idea what falling apart means. Well, okay. So yes, I do actually. Um, so really getting to that point of being able to say, wait, take a step back. Yeah. Everything we do matters. You know, the, the little choices you make, how you interact with your neighbor, the, the choice that you make when you walk into Starbucks even, and you can be kind to the person or you can be rude. You have a choice. And so it was a realization of how important it is to kind of lead best foot forward, understanding that everybody is struggling with something and that we just, we're all, we, we need to all try to do our best and kind of really showing the different things that I've done in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, not all of it, because that would take a, a really large book, but sample stories of of things that have happened over our, you know, our lives as a family. And yeah, it was it was hard to to put it all down because sometimes, you know, I wondered with especially with the kids. So my youngest daughter, Millie, said to me, "Great, you're writing a book. Don't include me in it." Like. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna write about my five favorite children. And she's yeah. like, I don't care, just don't include me in it. I said, Millie, I can't do that. Like, trust me, I will I will make sure that I, you know, I'm holding myself to the highest standards when I am talking about you. And I am not gonna do anything to embarrass you, but I think when we share our stories, we can inspire other people. She's like, fine, whatever, but I'm not gonna like it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you know what I we got some of the books in the house and I asked her to take one photo for me for social media she does not like being you know posted so she offered to do one and then she went and put the book under her sweatshirt and walked up the stairs like I wasn't going to see it and she FaceTimed me about an hour later with tears streaming down her face saying I really thought I wasn't going to like it but I love it I had no idea the stories about Noah. I had no idea about Ari's brother. Um, and it was really, that was the only review I needed, right? I mean, obviously I got other ones, but that was the only, I mean, that really was such a big deal to me that it really, 
it's, it's stuff sometimes we don't talk about all the time right and and then she was she read about herself i said read about yourself and tell me what you think and she read it and she said i think i should say thank you and i said no way i said you can thank me for making you breakfast you can thank me for taking you to your friend's house you cannot thank me for being your mother that's i am your mother that's how it works I said, try again. And she said, okay, well, it makes me think that I should do something nice for someone else. And I said, okay, I'll take that one. That, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I don't think that we realize that the things we do really make a difference in the world. And I, again, for me, I didn't realize that for a really long time. So Kilimanjaro was, um, and for those who, of you who are watching on YouTube, I am not a super athlete. <laughs> I, you know, I've done a few different things in my life, but I, you know, I rode horses when I was younger. And so that was the thing that I loved doing. But as I got older, uh, you know, I would be in the gym, but that's kind of about it. And we had a friend who had climbed Kilimanjaro the year before, and he called my husband and said, are you, they're putting a team together for next year. Would you be interested in going? And my husband is six foot five. And he was like, of course, again, perspective, how you, you know, the, everybody, the way you tell your, your stories, um, the way I tell it, he said, he counted in his head, one, two, three, no, thank you. Call Simone. And his friend called me and said, what do you think? And I thought, yeah, I think I want to do this. Okay, I should have researched a little bit more, but yeah, I think I want to do this. And I got myself in the gym every day um, and really got myself in the shape that I needed to be in to make it happen. And more than the, the physical shape was the mental shape. So really saying to myself, like, I believe in myself, like, I, I know I can do this. I don't need to listen to that voice inside my head. I don't need to listen to the people around me who would say things like, so do you really think you're gonna make it to the top? Oh no, I think I'm gonna make it halfway. That's why I'm doing it. You know, so sometimes it's hard. You, you can get in, in your own way and you can let what people, other people are saying get in your way. Um, but it was really a life-changing moment for me because I want to say it was the first time I truly believed in myself. I put in the work, I set the goal, put in the work and believed in myself and made it happen. And, you know, it was really, we were, there were 16 of us. I didn't know anybody on the trip and we were raising funds and awareness for the Livestrong Foundation. And I learned a lot about myself on that trip because, you know, completely out of my comfort zone, right? Sleeping in a tent, going to the bathroom outside. Uh, drinking water from a creek that they treat with iodine. Sometimes that doesn't always work. And then you get sick, which I did. So there's lots of pieces to it that really were about how strong can I be and what really matters. Can you walk us through, uh, I don't know, your, your favorite chapters of the book? <sighs> um, so I would say that really talking about the kids adoption journeys. Um, those were really impactful. And what's interesting is my so I didn't let my husband read the book until it was in book form. And 
again, because of the whole perspective thing, you know, when you tell a story, there's three sides to a story, right? What, what I think, what he thinks, and what other people think, or what other people hear. So it was important for me that I stayed true to what my stories were in my head. Um, obviously, I'm not saying anything like horrible, but I'm just being real. And so I'm really talking about the lives that my kids had before, um, what it was like visiting Ethiopia and seeing what my kids' lives were like because we did birth family visits. So we got to see the remaining members of the birth family and visit their, where they lived. And, you know, in Ethiopia, they were living in mud huts, no electricity, no running water. Um, and seeing these incredible hard decision, incredibly hard decisions that these families made, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine making that that decision, even even if I weren't able to care for my child, I think I would really, I can't imagine how hard that decision um, would be. So yes, talking about our kids, talking about um, patients, so with Noah, so Noah on our flight home from Seoul to Chicago, he cried 16 out of the 18 hours, not kidding. Um, I stood in the galley the whole time. I could not, and that's, you know, I started doubting myself. I was like, I've raised three kids or I have three kids and I can't quiet a baby. Like, what was I thinking? And so there, and there's a lot of, a lot of funny stories too. And then one, one of the chapters I talk about um, my daughter, Olivia, who's 19 now, she has Crohn's disease and she was diagnosed when she was a senior in high school. So basically she gets diagnosed with Crohn's and then COVID happens and it was, just the effect, there were so many things happening. And really her, she wrote one of her essays um, about being diagnosed and the whole idea of rose colored glasses and how you see the world and that you have a choice every day of being miserable or being happy. And, you know, yes, there are outside forces that, that affect things, but you still have a choice in how you move forward and how you lead each day. So, there's a lot of my favorite favorite things in there. Um, when the book first came out, there was, um, you know, no matter how much you edit, there's always going to be mistakes and, you know, no grammar, there's always something. And so we had so many people read over it. And I sent a book to a friend of mine and she's, I don't forget how many chapters in she is. And she texted me a picture and she's like did you mean to say this and i was like yeah no i didn't mean to say that so what i had written was um i can turn uh lemonade into lemons instead of lemons into lemonade and nobody saw it because you know it's the way your brain sees it right like you see you know what the expression is so you just read over it um and so it was so funny when she she sent me that message. I was like, didn't you know that was my superpower? I can turn lemonade back into lemons. I was like, what am I going to say? Okay, I'll, I'll let the editor know we got to fix it on the next round. So, but you know, just part of how it goes, right? So. Your first TED talk was really around some of the topics in your book, correct? Yeah, that my first talk, TED talk, it's, and it's interesting, naming a TED talk is very important. So, my TED talk is uh, how to find your Kilimanjaro. Nobody knows what that means. So <laughs> 
next time, you know, my next one, I was very, very specific on how I, I said things, but that, that was really about realizing what you're capable of letting go of that voice inside your head. It's always going to be there, but learning how to, you know, work with it instead of having it control the things that you do and, and seeing what you're capable of. So that was my first one. And obviously how to find your Kilimanjaro was all about making, you know, making those decisions, making those choices to, to move forward on something, even when it's scary. Um, and then I recorded another one last month, which is talking to your kids about bias. And that one, as we said before, isn't out yet, but um, that one I actually got to go be on a, a stage, which was nice to, you know, leave my, leave my little office space here. And well, first, what is the title for that one? Talking to kids about bias. Oh, okay. <laughs> so when you search bias, you're going to find it when you search, you know, because the other one, if you're trying to search like women's empowerment or anything like you're not going to find it. So if someone searched Kil Kilimanjaro, but how many people are searching Kilimanjaro for a TED talk? Yeah. So learn my lesson on that one. I've learned a lot of lessons in the last few years, but that was a good one. Well, tell me how this last TEDx talk evolved into a talk. Where, where did this idea start and, and why? And, and how has it shaped your mindset moving forward? Has it, has it, I would imagine that through developing this talk, you've actually learned a lot about yourself. I would imagine. Completely, yeah. Um, well, big first thing is it's okay to make mistakes, right? Like when we have difficult conversations, if we're going to stay silent about things, we're never going to move forward in this world. And yeah, it's, it's scary sometimes to have a conversation with someone when you don't know everything, right? I mean, we never know everything, but when you don't know the right words to say, well, how do I, how do I even, you know, broach the subject if I, if I don't know the words to use. So then that's why you see so many people just staying silent because, you know, how, how do I say this out loud? But it really started from looking at my children and different situations we've been in. And I have to say, most things have been very positive that I have people ask all the time, what's it like to have, a, you know, multicultural, multiracial family? What's it like to and for me, it's it's really it's a, it's having a family. So yeah, there are different issues that we have, but it's about respecting each other for exactly who we are. Looking at some of the things that have happened, and like I said, most of them have been very positive. Where you know we'll be we'll be sitting at a restaurant, and um, we we try to take the kids out uh, at the end of the school year, we'll do like a really nice dinner somewhere. And we were sitting there one time at a steakhouse and this couple, older couple, they were just staring at us and staring at us and staring at us. And the kids were like, can you say something? I'm like, no guys, just let it go. Don't, don't worry. You know? And of course, where does your mind go? Your mind goes to <clears throat> thinking the worst, like, what are they, what are they going to come up to us with? What kind of bias statement is going to come out of their mouth? But it didn't. They came up and said, wow, you have such a beautiful family. We really enjoyed watching your interactions. Maybe a little creepy, but still very, <laughs> very nice. Um, 
but you know we've we have had some things where that people have made certain comments and especially when it comes from children you know i i had for a long time i would have people say to me well that's that's probably what their parents believe but the more research i did the more i realized that parents might not have you know they might still be anti-racist but they just might not talk about things and so when you look at you know research that that talks about racial bias and understanding that yeah a lot of people don't talk to their kids at a young age they don't think that they're ready for it and but when you look at research that kids in preschool they are ready for it they babies could notice differences in skin color um when you're two years old, you start forming your thoughts on, and maybe even before that, on what people look like, what people who, you know, gender, race, everything. And I didn't know that. So here I am with three biological children. And if I if I think in my mind that I'm anti-racist, like what do I need to be saying all the time? Well, there's where I got it wrong. Like you have to be having these conversations all the time. Otherwise, where are they going to hear it from? And they're going to make up their own minds on, well, Johnny said that, you know, it's not okay. And so I don't think it's okay either. Well, you know what, if you start talking with your kids when they're really young and expose them to differences in race and gender and ethnicity, everything, then they start understanding that the world is a big place and I'm not the only person in it. And my white skin is, yes, it's different than someone with black skin, but we are all of the same value. So it was a realization for myself that, hey, I did not do this right from the beginning. Fortunately, my kids are very, my kids are amazing kids. They are just kind and accepting and um, they will stand up for other people, things that you know, again, they, the kids, when they see what you're doing, they, they tend to copy you. And, and when you're not doing it, if you're not talking about something, well, guess what, it must be bad, then, if you're not willing to talk about it, then it's taboo, we can't talk about that. So that really started me on the journey of wanting to share some of the stories that experiences that my kids had, along with the data out there to show wait, doesn't matter if you think you're something if you're not talking about it with your children if you're not talking about it with your colleagues then how are you going to make any difference in the world and we've had you know lots of things like i'll be somewhere and i i remember going into the gas station once and i had all the kids with me and i made them all get out of the car because you know i'm not going to leave them in the car they weren't old enough to be in the car and we walk in and this woman is like are you the babysitter i was like I wanted to say something really ridiculous, which sometimes I have said, I won't repeat it on air, but um, uh, no, these are all mine. These are all my kids. And she's like, wow, you know, like, um, you know, people are, I think people, what they say inside their head is probably way different than what they're saying, you know, outside. It would be nice where, if we would get to a point in our world that uh, the, the kindness that is shown is actually what the people are thinking as well. Um, a lot of people don't say anything, but you know that they want to say something and it's not going to be something nice. But fortunately, most of the people that do say things um, when I'm there are 
are pretty friendly about things. Um, but we have had other instances where, you know, I'll give you a story about with my my daughter. One of the things of writing that that TED talk was she was on the playground one day at school and a little girl came up to her and said that she couldn't play with them because she has black skin and she didn't want millie didn't want to tell me about it she told her uh older sister about it and they were both crying when they finally sat down and told me but at first like my thought process was well uh it was what the parents were saying inside the house like what they were the things that they would say but again the more research i did it it was more likely because i knew them like they were very nice people but it was more likely what they didn't say like they never you know again do you think about talking to your kids about racial bias when you're just in a white family not many people do when you look at research it's maybe 10 percent of people have these conversations with their children and it's not enough so it's a really long, long story for that. But, you know, we've had all kinds of unique experiences and it just makes me realize and makes me want to do better. So when I interact with other people, it gives me a different level of patience, a different level of understanding. We have one life, like, and we have a choice of how we want it to go. And for me, I want it to be as positive as I can be. And trust me, I'm not all unicorns and rainbows. There are there are very tough days and there are, but it's really looking forward to what's going to happen next and, and really how to push through that, that makes it all worthwhile. What advice do you have for parents when, because it's, it, it seems like you've learned some really valuable lessons that if you could go back, there's some things that you would do a little bit different when, when raising your children and what what is the biggest takeaway for you and what is maybe the biggest lesson that you would pass on to your children as they start to decide to build families of their own being open and honest um, and not being afraid to ask questions and not being afraid to answer questions so Again, I think that, you know, even for me, like I would be like, oh, I don't know what to say. So I'm just going to let I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to ask any question here. You know, even if, even in a maybe I'm in a a training on um, like a DEI training, but I'm scared to use my voice because like, what do you how do I how do I ask the question in the right way instead of just asking the question? And I can preface it with, hey, I know I'm not using the right words, but I really want to do better. So could you please help me? And so I say that to the kids all the time and that you don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to use your voice and stand up for yourself or more importantly, even to stand up for someone else when you know that they can't find their voice right now. Like it's so important that we help other people understand that again, we all matter, we all make a difference. And so we need to make sure that we're really using our voices so that everybody can. What's next for you? You, you spoke at your second TEDx event. Um, are, are you working on any new books? Are you working on any new talks? So I 
have a talk that I created that I'm still kind of working on that it's like a big, big keynote. I would love to find a place to deliver that one at, but, you know, really working on building my speaking business so that the more I can share messages, I actually was just in last, yeah, the beginning of last month, I went to the uh, Poland, I went to Poland to go to the Ukrainian border to bring, and this isn't like, oh, I'm a great person, it just, it's, about see, because people are like, why is she telling this story? Um, bringing medical supplies, but also really seeing and bearing witness to what's happening. You know, we see what's on the news, but really kind of being able to share the stories of the people that I met and what I saw. And so I think that every time we we do something, we need to realize that with what we've seen, we can impact someone else by sharing it with another person. And that's why I tell that story, because I think that it's so important that we we share what we learn, we share what we go through. Um, and so beyond that, uh, really working on building up the speaking business and I write blogs every week. So I have on my website, I, I think actually my last one was about being at the border and kind of what I what I saw there. But just being able to get my stories out there that the kids are, are used to it now, I'll have people say, do your kids get annoyed that you talk about them all the time? I'm like, yeah, at first, but they're they're over it now. They're just like, oh, here she goes again. Um, but again, I think that if we can, by sharing our stories, if we can impact that one person, then it's worth it, right? Like it's not that, ooh, I, just need to get that next big gig. No, it's about the people that we impact and the difference that we can make. And, you know, even, you know, again, within your profession, what you've done your whole life, I mean, think about all of the people that you've impacted that you've really, by, by impacting one person, by changing one person's life, you have changed the world. And so thank you for everything that you've done, because it really does make the world a better place by, by the leadership that you bring forward. Before we go, and like I said at the beginning, um, I, I will make sure I have a link to your website in the show notes and your book. You can find your book on uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all that, right? Yes, correct. Um, yep. And do you have links to it on your website as well? Yeah, there's a at the top of the, the homepage, there's one that says my book and just click on that and it will show you and you can read some of the reviews and you know see what you think and and if you read it I would love to hear from you because like if any of the listeners read it because I, I think it's important again it goes back to that impacting that one person so I love to hear when people say okay this is what I'm doing differently or I didn't think about it like this before and again if we can make the the world just a little bit better then then we're doing our job I can't thank you enough for for having this conversation with me today, sharing your story, and uh, really passing on some some wisdom that I don't think a lot of people uh, have that same experiential wisdom that that you've received from having uh, a multi 
racial, multicultural family, like that is, it's not that common in, in this day and age. And the value is, I think, immense. What you can share with the world through, from your experiences, it's, it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, our world is diverse, right? I feel like our family is a reflection of the world and we just need to, if, if, if the whole world could interact like our family does, you know, yeah, we have fights, but guess what? We love each other and we take care of each other and, and that's what matters. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you so Thank you. much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.